Amazon.ca is a large portion of the story. It's very important oh, yeah. because Ramona works, works for, for Amazon. And this is early Amazon. This is 2004 Amazon. Yeah, this is book delivery. Amazon, delivery Amazon. Yeah. So Amazon is, uh, you know, Ramona skates up. And She's the one Amazon delivery driver and like, <laughs> skater and whatever in like all of Toronto. <laughs> yep. And so she delivers the package and he's like waiting by the door and everything. And, you know, of course, I remember the scene from the movie. I told you I was reading the Kindle versions on my on my tablet and I'm like going through and reading. And while I'm reading that scene, my doorbell rings. Mm-hmm. And who is it? It's Ramona Flowers. It's Amazon. Uh, it's Amazon uh-huh. delivering these books to me. Was it Ramona? It wasn't Ramona. <laughs> oh, okay. no. It was actually like my uh, my typical Amazon delivery man. But oh, okay. He, uh, wasn't it like a pink haired manic pixie dream girl out there? No, yeah. not this time. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was such a like such good like synergy for their yeah. for their company there. Like they must have known that I was on it's that so scene because I like, was on my tablet. The chances that that would end up being what it is today, you know. Friends, to episode 172 of the Inked Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Brian Lee O'Malley's 2004 to 2010 comic series, Scott Pilgrim. Hello, James. Uh, it's been a little while since we've talked. I, I feel like we you've been busy with work and I haven't been talking to you as much lately, but yeah. we log on every week to talk about, you know, adaptations. And, and here we are with a comic run, which is not something we've done a lot of. Yeah. And it's fun. I grew up reading comics and I just, I love them to this day. The blending of the visual mm. and the written word has always, has always appealed to me. And I, I, I'm like a defender. Like I'm the, I'm, I'm, if somebody wants to talk shit about comic books, like I'm ready for a fight. I think people, I feel like comic books are, are having a moment right now or, or have been having a moment. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like they used to be a lot more like a kind of a second class perception from a lot of, you know, maybe more like literary snobs or something. But I feel like we're at a time where everybody's recognizing them for the artistic merit that they have. Um, Finally. So, yeah. And, and speaking <laughs> of like, do you have any have did you read this comic uh, no. at all before this? OK, so we both are coming in new to this. Um, yeah. We've only covered a few other comics on here, a couple of Alan Moore ones, um, and then what else? Oh, Old Guard. Um, Mm -hmm. And in those episodes... Snowpiercer, yes, thank you. Um, In those episodes, I talk about how I am a complete novice when it comes to comics. Um, It's not something I grew up with. It's not something I read... Um, it was I was just familiar with what they were, but like I I never owned a comic to my recollection. Um, you know, I didn't really have friends who were really into them, so I never got exposed in that way. So this has been a new thing for me, and um, I've been really enjoying it. And, and this is just another like piece along that journey. 
Um, but I am, once again, I want to put my ignorance at the front of the episode as we go into it, because I, I am not someone who's going to be able to, like, talk to you about the history of comics and where this <laughs> lines up and, and you know, what what they're doing with the form necessarily. It's going to be completely kind of a layman's uh, understanding of it. And, I, I, you know, I don't think there's any, I think comics are a medium where you don't, there isn't like a steep learning curve or anything, really. There's a little bit of like getting used to the flow of how mm-hmm. a page might go, like panel to panel. But overall, like it's I think it's fairly a friendly environment and and like I'm happy that you're enjoying yourself. Um, I I do want to we'll talk more about it, but there's a lot of this is like a comic book comic book, right? So there's a lot of like referencing of other material going on in this. And like we will have a lot of which I missed because I, you know, I would read like, oh, this was a reference to this other comic or to this manga. And like, I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of it. So I'm sure a lot of this went over my head. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andy's referencing films and there's lots of references because it's very meta, right? Like it's very playful right. and it's in its construction and its tone. Um, it's a fun comic and, and uh, definitely uh, I had a good time reading it. Um, and that seems to be kind of the point of it. Um, before we get into it more specifically, though, I, I just want to say this is our final Jukebox Hero project. It's a leftover holdover from last year when we um, we ended up stopping our Jukebox Hero tier on our Patreon. This is uh, commissioned by Stephen E., who commissioned several others, and um, I hope he enjoys this coverage. Um, we ended up having to put that tier to bed, though, because we realized it just didn't scale, um, and we wanted to create something that was going to be more sustainable going forward. So instead, we are doing polls now, um, where if you're at a certain tier, this is our $2 tier, um, you can vote on polls in, in addition to getting all of our other stuff. And the polls will be for future projects. And in fact, our very next project um, is being decided by a poll right now. Although I think when this episode comes out, the poll will be closed. But um, it, that's how we're going to do it going forward. We're going to try and do it quarterly. We're going to put up several different options. And then all of our patrons who are at the $2 and up tier can vote on those polls. And then that'll allow us to like still have that listener engagement where they're, you know, and people are, are, um, wanting to choose projects for us but uh it, it'll scale for potentially higher numbers we hope you know whereas if, if people are getting their own projects all the time it was starting to become a an issue of keeping up with it honestly and then we felt yeah. bad yeah we're also fans of democracy so <laughs> there you go <laughs> let's let the masses decide yeah yeah and it, uh, you know and it's also a fairly small community right now i mean we're hoping it's going to grow larger but yeah, if you were worried that your vote isn't going to count, like it does, because there's, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it, it'll, it'll have weight. So uh, definitely check that out if it interests you. Um, so yes, back to Scott Pilgrim. Uh, what did you think of, of this series? Now we've both seen the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've only seen the movie once. Um, I, I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure only once. Is this like one of your? Is this like one of the movies you see a lot? Because I know you really like Edgar Wright. No, I, I haven't seen it like a lot of times. I've seen it more than than most people. I would say I've probably seen it like five or six times. But it's not my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is an Edgar Wright film, so it is like a special thing to me. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the movie when we get there. But this, uh, I'd never experienced this before. I do know that there's a video game that was like massive. That came out, and I think I yeah, played a I little bit of that. Yeah, I saw there was a, a Scott Pilgrim video game adaptation that came out around the time of the movie. I never played it, 
and I yeah. was thinking how I would actually be really curious to try it. Maybe we could talk about yeah. it on a bonus episode or something because, I, would, I mean, I love video games, so I'd be I'd curious. be super into it. I remember when that came out and I did play a little bit of it. I think a friend had it or something, but it became this like exclusive thing because you couldn't get it anywhere. It became like very uh, oh i wonder is it available now like, it just it... it just was like re-released during during quarantine on like steam or there something? was this there was this big push i think it was steam or something like that okay. or um i don't know playstation network xbox something wow. but basically there was this big push for a long long time it was like this cult game that was really scarce you couldn't get it unless you like pirated it and mm. then it, it was a big thing and, and then edgar wright helped push it he was like let's get this game back into relevancy and get let people play it because everybody wants to so i know that's like another offshoot of all of this scott pilgrim stuff yeah uh real quick we're, we're gonna do just like a little bit of general thoughts and then we'll get into specifics about uh uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, who he is, and and um and then moving through issue by issue, but just in general, like yeah. what was it like reading for you? This is such an interesting snapshot of a period of time in the two thousands, where and it is very centering a white male nerd in like a wish fulfillment role, and yeah. I know that it is it is taking it's poking fun at it in some ways, and it's kind of leaning into the tropes in other ways, and it's trying to be. Um, like the specific 2000s sort of slacker version of uh, like some of these like Legend of Zelda like video games and things that it's referencing. It's very yeah. clear. Well, also uh, uh, he he specifically said manga, and I think I was I was pick- there's like a lot of anime where there's like one guy and he like lives in a house with like six different women, right? Like those kind of like animes. harem harem yeah anime. harem animes. Yeah. I think he, I feel like this was kind of playing with that too a little bit, even though it was I know it was more of a shonen inspired yeah. story but it, it it felt of a kind with that definitely i mean and like again that sh- harem anime is just wish fulfillment for males exactly. usually so it's yeah. it's uh, he brought that and he and he blended it and he talked about this like he blended it with american styles he blended it with european styles and he made this very unique thing um that was still fairly fresh to american mm-hmm. audiences and, and canadian audiences it's a Can- he's a canadian so i should say that yeah and i do think that this i think other people have done it now right like i think mm-hmm. it's been something that I, I think that there are a couple things you can point to i i think of like last starfighter or like some of these like you get a nerd in a scenario where i kind of like ender's game if you read ender's game where ready it's player like, one ready player one yeah mm-hmm. some of these stories where it's like like centering this like nerd that in in most stories or in most like folklore or everything that person ends up the hero and like the, it's like centering how like their nerdum becomes sort of some of their success and uh that's like the ultimate if you're reading a comic book in the 2000s and you see that you're like there's a lot of relatable things going on yeah um and i i did feel like that was there was something else too like there's a little nostalgia there for me when I read this story. Like I, I notice obviously the problematic elements within the story. Sure. But uh, there's something about that time period and, you know, for better or for worse, it, it kind of reminds me of the 2000s in almost every way to where like, I'm, you know, I get nostalgic for uh, a time where I was a white man in America who was privileged and, you know, like was struggling with relationships and I sucked at them and, and all that kind of stuff. So like, I can understand if so if if that's not your experience if you don't really engage with it in that way but yeah. being kind of the 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 thing that this is targeting I you know I responded well to it. I think you're 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 touching on a lot of the same points I want to make. Um I definitely 
I could sense that I was being pandered to. <laughs> right. I was like, this book is written for me. <laughs> like, it's written for, I mean, he, you know, Ryan Lee O'Malley, I was looking it up. He was born in 1979, so he's six years older than me. Mm-hmm. And um, he it seems like he was kind of writing about a time in his life that he had just gotten through, and it was like looking back at it. So honestly, like as he's releasing these books, 2004 to 2010, like I am, that's like me being 18 to 24. You know what I mean? Like that's prime age of the characters in this comic, right? And it, it spoke to so much about my life at that time. Um, it, it's a very transitory period. Um, I think when you're when you're first coming out of high school, starting college, um, maybe maybe you dated someone in high school and then maybe now you're dating someone new and um, the the messiness and the overlap in those two lives, um, you know, and, and for me, that was very much tied to going to college. I know these characters are not college uh, students, but just comparing it to my own life, you know, I saw a lot of similarities there. Um, I, 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 for example, uh, when I was 19, uh, my first summer, uh, after, after attending a year of college, I moved back home for the summer and I was in a band and we yeah. played house parties and I used to drink Jägermeister between songs and shit like that. Like <laughs> I, it was like, I was very much, it wasn't this scene, you know, like this scene is too cool for like central Florida. <laughs> this is too indie. Um, mine was much more like grungy, like metal stuff. Um, but still, it was kind of that, like, outcast of society, you know, like, just hormones everywhere. It's really messy. Everybody's kind of dated each other in these groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of exes around, and you get jealousy going. And um, it's 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 very, like, immature in a way. Like, no one really mm-hmm. knows how to, like, behave like an adult because you're not really any, you know, at that point, even though you might legally be. I don't know. So, like, the nostalgia for that time in my life was, like, hitting me in waves as I'm reading it. And I was realizing, like, this is all deliberate, right? Like, this is who, this is written for me. Like, he, and, and because it's a self-insert story for Brian Leo O'Malley, I think obviously, right? And he's even talked about how he was writing about things that happened to him in real life. Um, he was, like, making them grander and dramatizing them. But it's basically him. He is Scott Pilgrim in these, in these comics. Um, and because of that, you know, I must have lived a similar enough experience to where I was able to easily look at myself. However... Scott Pilgrim's personality varies dramatically from mine. Um, right. And, and the way he treats people, I, I, I like to think, varies dramatically from the way I did. So there were definitely things I was, like, chafing against. Um, and then, yeah, definitely looking back at it now, there's a lot that didn't age very well um, and, and seems like this was kind of borderline not okay in this era but it's definitely not okay now you know it's yeah. obviously depending on who you ask and what you know yeah it definitely like specifically the dialogue in some ways yeah. and like the things that were being said felt real to the time period but it was like edgy at the time and like mm-hmm. it's clearly not okay it wasn't okay then it's not okay clearly not okay now but um yeah. and so if you're a new if you're like a new reader coming into this and and you yeah. were a completely different age at the time or you're a woman or like there's a lot of reasons why it might not hit for you at all that's not to say that there are not a lot of people who love this series who aren't in our demo because i know there are this is yeah. a massive series it's incredibly popular and and whenever something's this popular it's going to have a wide readership who appreciate right. it i think I, I think the built-in the built-in people that you're trying like you're talking about that had similar experiences are the people who are going to be like respond i, I don't know i, I don't want to speak for everybody because like you said there are a ton of people who love this story but uh I, I mean like even for the time period like it's the approach to um just alternative lifestyle what people would consider alternative lifestyles in general like 
uh, slackers living it back at home in some ways and then like like people whose sexuality like run the gamut like all of mm-hmm. these all, all of this stuff yeah which at the time i think was it, it was more edgy right yeah. yeah i think i think at the time i think like this is this is somewhat progressive yeah but you look at it now and it's clearly like some of the things were being looked at from like a straight white i i, I don't know if he's white but a straight oh for person. sure every time every time it uh he refers to like his roommate uh wallace being gay like it's his gay roommate wallace like it has to be said every time and i was like really do we have to continue to point out it's like such an essential part of who that character is it has to be mentioned Mm-hmm. every time he appears and he's like um, his cool gay roommate and it's like ownership or something like this is my cool gay best friend or whatever like <laughs> yeah. it feels weird and uh, i don't know feels yeah, like it's well, not and and a lot of these problems i don't know if this is experience for you but for me a lot of these problems were worse at the beginning in the mm-hmm. early issues and then got better didn't go away but got better as it went along um part of that is also the fleshing out of all the side characters which for me was the main thing that kept me engaged was learning right. more about all the side characters because ultimately I found basically all of them more interesting than Scott. <laughs> right. Um, Cause at the end of the day, he is just supposed to be a blank page. He's like the Harry Potter of this story. He's like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Like he's going to, he's his personality can't be too, he can't be that interesting because it'll, it'll like sort of, he's supposed to be the, the person that everybody can see themselves in. So if he's a very specific type of person, then I think it makes it not as broadly sort of attachable yeah, um, but well, you know, and, and we we're talking about people, other people who like this, who maybe don't fit in that demo. I, I think it's the side characters, right? Like, I think the more you read it, yeah. I think a lot of people see themselves um, or, or just really like these characters. Um, the art style is very endearing. Um, I, I, I thought it was like this really interesting blend. Uh, uh, it, it feels kind of like anime, but it's also um, very cartoony and very cute. Uh, um, but not cutesy, but like the characters are just like approachable. And even though um, there's definitely lots of like sexuality and, and, and stuff drawn with very kind of male gaze. Um, it's not like, it's not like overly sexualized, like, you know, some uh, manga are, um, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was in that sense, not too overdone. Um, and because of that, like, I, you know, I, I took, I took a look on Instagram and like, there's tons of fan art still being made to this day, like fresh stuff getting drawn all the time. People like reimagining these characters and just seem to be fascinated with them. Um, and I think a lot of that also comes back to how well he was able to capture the style, the, the speech, the mannerisms of people in this scene and in this time. And a lot of people, uh, identify with that. And I think are, are gravitate towards these characters. Um, you know, the 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 girl who changes her hair color every two weeks. Like a lot of mm-hmm. people knew people like this or dated people like this. Like you, you were talking about how like this wasn't necessarily your scene, and this 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 sort of story was coming about at like a very formative time for me. And I'm not saying that this exactly is how like my group of friends and everybody was, but it did feel like the roots of my adolescence is like is is in this story because it is there's something about the way that like people don't take themselves too seriously but also like everything's the end of the world um i don't know it just feels very much like like oh i can see my my personality being shaped by this time period yeah um and you know i don't know stories like this probably like things things like this that just latched onto the zeitgeist and music of the time and all that other stuff like i i you know i think 
in that time period, like, you know, skateboarding and like, like everybody wanted to be in a band. I played drums a little bit. I was super fucking awful at it and we didn't have a real band or anything <laughs> like that, but it was all uh-huh. like sort of that, that time period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also it struck me as just how often they go to each other's houses and like hang out on each other's beds. And I was right. thinking how true to life that is. Like when, when I was that age, I've spent so much time in people's bedrooms, just like sitting on their bed and just how like intimate that is. I don't know. It's such something you don't really do as an adult anymore. Now it's, you tend to not go in people's bedrooms. Imagine, imagine making a friend and then at this age and then, ima- and then eventually being like, let's go hang out in your bedroom and like yeah. how, how interesting and weird that would feel. And yeah, you know, yeah especially loaded, like people right? who are, especially people who are like in relationships, which all these characters are of course yeah. constantly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting, but, um, before we go, I mean, we ha- I have so much more to say, but I, I want to save some for when we actually talk about specific issues because I, I there's a really interesting arc this took, and it, I felt like I went on a journey with it and, and the way I felt about the series. Um, before I do that, let's talk a little bit about Brian Lee O'Malley. Um, he is half Korean, half French Canadian. I, like I said earlier, born in 1979, went to school in Ontario, and was a film studies major who ended up dropping out of the University of Western Ontario, so did not graduate. Um, He said that the series was, he was inspired to create the eponymous character of Scott Pilgrim after listening to a Canadian band called Plumtree, and they had a 1998 single called Scott Pilgrim, a song that then Plumtree singer Carla Gillis describes as, quote, positive but also bittersweet. In particular, Mally was inspired by the lyric, Quote, I've liked you for a thousand years. So he, 1998, he got this idea for this character, Scott Pilgrim. The first issue of the, of the comic would come out in 2004, which was black and white. The entire run was black and white. It only got colorized later. We read the colorized versions. I um, actually only read two, two, two of my volumes were of color. And then I received the physical, the physical copies, which were black and white. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I had the digital uh, for all six mm-hmm. and, and mine were all color interesting okay so you, i read two of them i read two of them digitally on like kindle and then and wow. then got the physical copies so in the mail. i watched a little bit of a stream where he was talking about the black and white versus the, the colorized versions and he actually mm-hmm. sometimes would reimagine like he was showing how he had to like reimagine certain scenes for mm-hmm. the color version and stuff i, I like, do know yeah I, I do know, like, being someone who reads a lot of manga, like, black and white being a very specific art style in right. comics, right? And he, did, so it's he like... did that on purpose, but also because it was cheaper. <laughs> he basically said, like, it was it was a manga thing, but also it was cheaper, so those two things exactly. came together. So uh, you, you, the use of blacks in manga, like, the use of, like, black, sh- like, like there are even panels that I, I don't know what they would have looked like in color, but, like, when whenever they go into, like, this, this, like, subspace area and it's, like, entirely black... When you get an entire page of black in a comic, you're like, oh shit, like this is very intentional and it's also costed a shitload of money to put black ink, have an entire page of black ink. Yeah. So like it was, an, it was, a, you know, it's a big choice to do something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the use of, I, I know that like specifically Japanese manga artists are like very into the, like being able to adequately use black um, and be artistic. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's something about the way that like, it's so stark, right? There's like white and the black and like the, the the contrast between the two and the way that the black can dominate the page or the white can dominate the page. And I don't know, there's all kinds of stuff you can look into about it. Yeah. I mean, and I think that was all things he was playing with because he, he uh, was influenced heavily by a lot of manga, which we can talk about some of them. Um, 
I, I do think it's interesting to note that all these colorized versions came out after the film, right? Like this is that's like the power of a mm-hmm. film, right? Like it creates yeah. so much interest. Um, the run itself, like I don't have the exact numbers, but I know he he was saying like the first volume and even the second volume, incredibly small distribution. He only expected about a thousand copies to sell, um, and it wasn't until later where it started really taking off. Um, and and then of course for the adaptation, it, it just kind of went. It skyrocketed but even at that point it was popular um so he he said that he wanted to write a shonen style comic book series um and he had only read one such series at the time ranma one half um and apparently that was like a main inspiration um he also gained inspiration from a book called even a monkey can draw manga by koji ahara um in 2002 uh his roommate who worked in a comic book store uh, brought him the book while he was working on the uh, Lost at Sea, which was his first graphic novel, um, and he and he was planning Scott Pilgrim. Um, upon re- reading it, he realized that despite the satirical tone, it could be an effective guide to how the Japanese comic book industry worked. He has noted that a lot of people point to, uh, was it Fooly Cooly? Is that how you say it? Fully Cooly is one of my favorite anime and manga ever. Yeah, a lot of people point to that as like a, they assume that that was like a huge influence. And he said that while it was an influence, it, that it was not nearly as direct as a lot of people seem to mm. think it was. That's one of the most revolution like that. that Fully Cooly is easily one of the most influential things to happen to manga and anime mm-hmm. um, potentially ever. And it's 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 only like six episodes or something. So if you want to watch that, if people are listening, I highly recommend it. It's very, very oddball. It's very like. Um, it might be a little tough to latch onto, but I promise you the, the visuals are worth it and sort of the same kind of vibe that we're talking about with Scott Pilgrim being like awkward and, and like abnormal mm-hmm. is, in, is in that Fully Cooly series as well. Yeah, and it's one that I've always wanted to watch, but I've just never gotten around to Oh, the anime and, and obviously reading the right. manga. I never didn't do any of that because manga, in addition to comics, another thing I, I'm just not very exposed to. I've got the Blu-ray if you want. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was published by uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> published by Oni Press, which um, apparently is a Portland-based publisher, which is really cool. I, it sounded familiar, but I, I wasn't sure. Um, so that's always fun. I live in Portland, Portland, Oregon, so. Uh, it's neat that, that to think about how this was all going on. Now it was before I before I got here, but to think that this yeah. was all going around in this area uh, is exciting. Yeah, he had an actual gay roommate who he based uh, Wallace on. Um, a lot of the characters in this series are based on real people. Um, he would take like at least certain part pieces of their personality and like directly. He even used like the names of like two girls he knew in high school, and he like I think they're the two girls that show up randomly in like bars and stuff and like Comic Con yeah. stuff. Like he just <laughs> used their funny. exact names. <laughs> That's um, funny. Yeah, so it it really is very strongly about like his life in a way, and and um, he he's talked about how he really values and um puts a lot of emphasis in writing relationships and how that's what really fascinates him. And mm-hmm. um, that's the other thing that, that I found interesting about this comic is that it is, it is also kind of just like a, a male romance. Like it's, it's about a guy's like romantic exploits. Now it's set up to be kind of like a shonen action, video gamey, exciting, you know, <laughs> combat thing. But ultimately this is a romance story, right? Like it's about finding the love of your life and having to fight for her. And, you know, it, it, so it's interesting that it, it's, it's, it, it feels like it, it does everything it can to not be that, but like at its heart, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not as romantic as that makes it sound like it, it's almost more like 
possessive. Sure. It po- yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. And it's very like, um, I don't know, like messy. So, you know, yeah. all this stuff is very messy. Scott is like, he's got the worst wandering eye. Like he's attracted to everybody. He seems to forget all the time that he he's like dating someone. I mean, right from the jump, which we'll get into in, in, in issue one. Um, colorized by Nathan Fairbairn. So I just wanted to give him a shout out because I think he did a great job, honestly. Like, and seeing that stream where uh, uh, O'Malley was comparing the two, like the the colors are striking. They really just invigorated everything in a way, and I enjoy it. Now I recognize that maybe the the classic way to view it maybe isn't that black and white, but I really enjoy having the color to someone who's yeah. Who's, who's I mean, this I read I read both, and I liked I like the color um, for the for the ones that I re- did read the first two volumes. Um, and you know, part of me felt like I was as I started to read the the black and white. Um, luckily, I did literally finish reading. Like I was getting caught up on on one of this one of these mangas that I read. Uh, I hadn't read in a few in a few like weeks, and basically I went from that like straight into reading Scott Pilgrim. So there wasn't like a when I when I received the actual um, physical copies that were in black and white. So there wasn't like a disconnect. And I kind of but but when I first was reading it in color, I was kind of like, damn, I hope that. I hope that the, like I'm not like less interested. And honestly, I didn't think any after like a few pages in, I didn't think anything of it. I wasn't I didn't even miss it. There was one joke. I can't remember which issue it was in, but it was when uh, uh, Ramona cha- changes her, her hair. hair. Yeah. Um, did you get that joke in the black and white version? Or yeah, it literally was in black and white. Yeah, because it's it like everyone's in, reacting. They're like, "Wow, that's a really surprising color." She and says, it's just a different shade of black. Yeah, and then, and then like in the color version, there's a little note that says this was funnier in the black and white edition. Oh, that's which fun. I thought that's was really funny. funny. <laughs> I like that a lot. That's cool. Because they had to pick a color, you know, obviously for this version, which I thought was funny. Anyway, um, let me read the quick summary for volume one. Um, Scott Pilgrim, a 23-year-old slacker, lives in Toronto with his roommate Wallace Wells. He is the bass player for Sex Babam, an unsuccessful band consisting of himself, guitarist Stephen Stills, and drummer Kim Pine. To the discomfort of Scott's friends, he has recently begun dating Knives Chow, a 17-year-old school student. After having a dream about a woman on rollerblades, Scott encounters her in real life and discovers that she is Ramona Flowers, who can travel through subspace and who has recently moved to Toronto after breaking up with a man named Gideon Graves. After Scott attempts to meet Ramona again, he receives an ominous email from someone named Matthew Patel. As Sex Babam prepares for a concert, Matthew appears and reveals himself as the first of Ramona's evil exes. He and Scott fight a video game style battle from which Scott emerges victorious. Ramona informs Scott that if they are to date, he must first defeat her six other evil exes. Okay, so that's the setup for this this whole series. Um, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, before we really get into it, do you have a favorite character? um let me think about it do you have one that you want to say yeah i have two but i will i will just give you my my top choice my top choice uh it it changed throughout but it ended up by the end it was kim kim pine the drummer Mm -hmm. uh i i just i loved her and um i i wanted a little bit more i wanted some different stuff which you could talk about from her story um but i just thought she was so cool and um Mm -hmm. i don't know just just throughout the way the amount that she like calls Scott on his shit always made yeah. me happy. Like her, her yeah. you know, she, her, certain characters are able to do that in this story, and she is definitely one of them. 
what percentage of you felt like i mean i guess you've seen the movie but what percentage did you feel like they might end up together ultimately like how much did you feel like kim and scott should have ended up together ultimately zero i did not want i did not want scott to end up with kim and and in fact she's too good for him (laughs) which i think might even be said at one point um no there are other characters i was kind of hoping uh kim was going to end up with which she doesn't yeah. really end up with anybody, which is fine. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we can, we can talk about that. But um, yeah, I like I like him. Um, ooh, it's tough to pick on the spot. I I feel like I still need to think harder on it. But I did really like. Um, I mean, I like Ramona a lot. Yeah, you too. know, yeah. I like I like you know. I think part of that is R- that we Ram- get a Ramona, lot of her. In a way, all. is very frustrating to me though, in the same way that Scott is. Um, but it's it's built into the character. Like both of them, and I think we understand that less about Ramona early, have a lot of like figuring themselves out to do. And um, she she definitely goes through that in the later issues, like figuring out what she actually wants and, you know, coming to grips with the fact that she tends to be the one who leaves and stuff like that. And and there's a certain sort of flightiness to that character that uh, I found kind of triggering in a way. <laughs> Um, not to make light of it, but like, honestly, it reminds me of certain people that I had unsuccessful relationships with that, um, had similar issues and, uh, and these kind of people are very frustrating. And Scott is definitely one of those kinds of people. Um, so uh, while I liked Ramona, I, I also found her a little bit more frustrating, I guess. I understand that. Yeah. And, and ultimately I think that's part, part of what makes these characters endearing is that like they are imperfect, you yeah. know, like they are like, so they all got tons of baggage, uh, right? You can't, yeah. You can't really contain them into like a, a nice neat box mm. that you, you would like to. Um, and, and there, I'm, we have, we're going to have to talk about like the sort of manic pixie dream girl oh, thing that, lit- that literally a manic pixie dream girl, like one of the most prime examples I think you could draw. If I ever talk about that trope again, I am going to mention her, um she literally shows up in his dreams on roller skates um she's the definition of that like manic pixie you know personality type and um yeah she also she also like represents the goal for a protagonist too like this is like what the ultimate goal of the entire story for him is to just like have her she's everything that he would want um in every way yeah um yeah absolutely so uh, should I give you my second favorite or should I hold that? Yeah, go for it. Okay, My go second favorite is actually Wallace. Um, yeah, I do. Like and, Wallace. and at first I didn't think it was going to be because I was frustrated with how frequently he, it felt like he, it felt like his sexuality was a joke and it kept right. coming up over and over again. Um, so the first, like I think two or three volumes, um, I, I was kind of more frustrated with the character, but it, it did feel like they eased off a little bit on the jokiness of it later. And I think some of the funniest shit Wallace does is later. Um, he has some of the best lines. Um, and again, uh, you, you, you notice a, a, a pattern with these two characters, both characters who call Scott on his shit frequently. And uh, right. so because of that, I love them. <laughs> well, yeah. And he really represents the voice of reason a lot of the time. Sometimes. Where it's like, you know, you have those friends, you have those friends that are like, you know, things have happened, move on, you know, life isn't over, like continue. And Wallace represents that a lot for Scott. Yeah. Um, and Scott never takes his advice. So, uh, he so, continues. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I do have a funny anecdote that happened to me and uh, amazon.ca is a large portion of the story. It's very important oh, yeah. because Ramona works, works for, for Amazon. and this is early Amazon. This is 2004 Amazon. Yeah. This is book delivery, Amazon, delivery yeah. Amazon. So Amazon is, uh, you know, Ramona skates up. And She's the one Amazon delivery driver and like, uh, <laughs> skater and whatever. And like, 
all of Toronto. <laughs> yep. And so she delivers the package and he's like waiting by the door and everything. And, you know, of course, I remember the scene from the movie. I told you I was reading the Kindle versions on my on my tablet and I'm like going through and reading. And while I'm reading that scene, my doorbell rings. Mm -hmm. And who is it? It's Ramona Flowers. It's Amazon. Oh. It's Amazon uh -huh. delivering these books to me. Was it Ramona? It wasn't Ramona. <laughs> oh, okay. no, no. It was actually like my uh, my typical Amazon delivery man. Oh, okay. He, uh, wasn't it like a pink-haired manic pixie dream girl out there? No, yeah. not this time. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was such a like such good like synergy for their yeah. for their company there. Like they must have known that I was on it's that so scene because like, I was on my tablet. The chances that that would end up being what it is today, and it's also like I you know it made me think a lot about like that Amazon versus modern Amazon and like yeah. what Amazon represents. And you know I I don't necessarily condone buying books from Amazon uh every time like i think yeah. that you know you can there are other places to support books and things like that but this time i ordered from amazon yeah. and they happened to deliver as i was reading yeah. about it i condone it i just don't i i just recommend varying it up every now and then but i mean buying books yeah. is buying books that's good no matter what um okay so let's talk about issue one though because this issue was rough <laughs> um this was my the one i struggled with the most the, the one where i was like oh i'm in for a long series I really didn't like Scott in this. Um, he's introduced as dating this Knives Chow character. He treats her like shit the whole time, immediately cheats on her with Ramona, and then doesn't break up with her because he's like a coward. And everything he does, honestly, just makes me dislike him viscerally. <laughs> um, I mean, like, he, he he's this, like, lovable loser the whole time, but, like, that wasn't enough for me to like the character, um, and at, least, at least in this issue. Um, you know, it was still fun, but I was like, okay, this just isn't going to be for me. And I, and I definitely, uh, it was kind of the low point in my journey with this series. Yeah. Like almost his slacker, all, all the things that he represents is almost too real. Like it's, it is very like, he's not likable, like you said, in all of the ways that like th that lifestyle can be really, it can, it can, you know, it can be tough for people around them. Yeah. It can be tough for just you in general and like, like your continued health mental health and like the way that he's like you know la he's reaching out for anybody he can get a hold of and he reaches out for for knives chow and she doesn't deserve it and and like yeah it just feels it's just it sucks yeah and i felt so bad for knives throughout but um he really represents a phenomenon that is super common in you know guys this age like us <laughs> um and i think everybody has a piece of this when the when you're this age because you're still like maturing um emotionally um, but a lot of, a lot of guys I knew and, 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 and again, like, I think all of us are affected by it in some way. It's like you fail to see other people's humanity and you're focused more on like what they, how they intersect with your life and what they mean yeah. to you. So he views all these women, not as like people, but as like hot chicks, uh, you know, like dream girls, you know, whatever it might be. And it's it's i don't know it's 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 kind of gross i guess but um it's 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 also part of his journey like and i understand mm -hmm. that that it seems to be done deliberately or at least it looks like it was deliberate by the time we get to the end because that is what his journey is about i think right ultimately um mm -hmm. but here it's tough to see because it feels like he's incredibly selfish he's a jerk to everybody he really only cares about who he finds hot and that seems to be the only thing that matters to him He's a burden to everybody around him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, 
I identify with that at certain points in my life. You know what I mean? Like I've I've been that exactly. Person a I feel bit, like everybody yeah. at, like it's very understandable when you're a certain age, you're like a mat- you're still maturing emotionally. Like you only really care about yourself and your like how people affect you and you know what i mean like right. you're not really putting yourself in other people's shoes like that that's a skill that you have to develop over time i certainly did um yeah and and i feel like uh it is accurate for a lot of people uh, you know in this age bracket <laughs> yeah um, and i cringe at thinking about like what i used to be yeah like, and that's sure. why dating was so like i mean one of the many reasons why it was so fraught right like because you have all these people who are emotionally immature trying to do this thing, you know, trying to date each other and, and, you know, being selfish and, uh, not thinking about other people's feelings and, you know, that considering them like actual other human beings, um, which like, obviously I'm exaggerating it, but you know what I'm trying to say. I think people who are emotionally mature enough to like sort of be what we're talking about right now, who were like aware of other people and were nice and all this stuff were the anomaly. Yeah. Like they weren't the norm. Yeah. They were the people and like, they were the people that you look to and you're like, I wish I could be like that, but yeah. I'm too selfish. Well, and also, and, it's, a, it's a spectrum. Like, you know, where where are you at in that? You know, how much do you right. actually, you know, put yourself in other people's shoes? Um, yeah. You know, it's always a spectrum. Oh, the other thing we should talk about is the fact that this is all set up to be this, like, larger-than-life epic battle. Um, and how that works in, like, a meta-narrative, how there's, like, all these video game things going on. He's getting one-up, you know, he gets one-up in a later comic. Um, he gets, he's getting weapons, he's getting experience points and all this kind of shit, coins. Proficiencies are talked about, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, what was your take on all that? I mean, I liked it, and I think that this is some of the stuff that I was talking about when, when this movie came out, and I don't know if it's because this movie was a response to the comic, and the comic took six years to come out, um, and I think the movie came out like as the last issues were coming out. I forget how it worked out, but I think like Edgar had to be told how how the comic run would end. And I think I, I don't know. We'll look more into that for the next episode. But it got there. I just remember people being like, it's trying too hard to be something. It's trying to say like, like we said, it's almost like extreme pandering. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are. I think there are plenty of things in here. There are more surface level things for people who aren't necessarily like that steeped in a lot of the stuff. And then there are like very subtle things that are just in the background or just a logo or just like a, I don't know. I saw like a bunch of like his t-shirts were very clearly almost every single time there were reference. I saw a little slime from Dragon Quest. I saw obviously the upside down Triforce was one. Um, there are so many yeah. throughout. And um, I-, I liked a lot of it. Like I, I-, I think... And when we get to the movie, we'll talk more about the movie on its own. But in this case, I do feel like some of the stuff was like out and out said like, oh, I learned how to play the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Mm-hmm. Like that's like even if you haven't heard it, you understand the reference in a way because it's said to you. Yeah. Um, so a lot it, of it establishing nerd through. cred <laughs> like that kind of stuff right. going on. That's kind of what it feels like. And I can understand people. That's why back. I did think of Ready Player One a little bit with that. Uh, he you know, yeah. Wade Watts does some similar things. Um, yeah. But uh what the the grand nature of it and then making it kind of into an epic the, one of the reasons why i feel like it works so well for this story is because that's what everything feels like when you're this age and you're and you're just starting to date people and you're like trying to figure out who you're going to be with and like i mean i know dating always feels monumental in, in people's lives because it is but like there's a certain special power it has at this time frame in your life yeah and it I mean, does it feels feel like, it could like be the, end of the, world. the end of the world when yeah. someone cheats on you, when something goes wrong. It feels like the love of your life who you just lost and you're never going to find love again. Everything's so dramatic. You don't have the experience 
to like look back and go like, oh, that's not the end of the world. It'll be okay. Like you don't have that experience. So everything feels so fresh and so like powerful. Um, and it feels like you're doing battle on like epic scales and all this stuff, you know? So it yeah. works in, the, in that sense too. It, you also don't have that much going on too. Like you're at a period where like you're transitioning to maybe a professional life and you don't have that to lean on to mm-hmm. be like, this is the thing that I'm proud of. So like the relationships have so much weight. And like you said, when, when something goes wrong or, or you know or the other end of it if like you start dating somebody it feels so much more elated um and uh yeah i mean i feel like that's that's pretty realistic for the time period for sure all right let's move into issue number two so scott pilgrim versus the world which ends up being the title of the film um is volume two um did i say the the volume one was called scott pilgrim's precious little life i think i forgot to say that so scott pilgrim versus the world volume two In a flashback seven years prior, a high school-aged Scott forms a band with Kim and his friend Lisa Miller, and later rescues Kim when she is kidnapped by by students from a rival school. In the present, Scott confronts Ramona's second evil ex, Lucas Lee, an actor and professional skateboarder shooting a movie in Toronto, who informs Scott about the, quote, League of Evil Exes. Scott is able to defeat Lucas by goading him into skateboarding and subsequently crashing on the Baldwin steps. Scott breaks up with Knives after Wallace threatens to tell Ramona about her, though Knives later learns about Ramona and attacks her. Later, Scott receives a call from his ex-girlfriend Envy Adams, who asks him to open for her band The Clash at Demonhead. At the band's concert, Ramona identifies Clash at Demonhead's bassist as her ex-boyfriend Todd Ingram. Okay, issue number two. What do you think? Yeah, one of the things I want to address is this idea that like no one questions the fact that Scott can just beat the shit out of anybody. Like yeah. when it comes down to it, and it is like this exaggerated version of like he's the, the, hero. the shonen protagonist, <laughs> exactly. but like specifically the shonen protagonist, where like he's Goku. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, he's gonna get it done. He's Naruto. He's he's the main mm-hmm. character that like we don't question and no one even in the world questions and and like you know he'll get beat up and stuff but eventually he'll win the fight it's just funny too because you look at the size of him in most panels in comparison to some of the people that he's fighting and like it doesn't matter he just has this innate ability to like fight people um which is like very video gamey but yeah the the league of evil exes is it's the the bosses right Mm -hmm. so it's it's very much the tiered level system uh and and it kind of makes it neat and easy for for the for the writer, right? Like it's like this is gonna be my this is my format here, yeah. and then I'm gonna stick to this, and then like do things within this framework. And honestly, like there's something fun about reading it that feels like playing a video game too, because like you're going along with the journey like you would with a video game. You know, it has an endpoint. You're like, well, we're go- we're gonna read about the seven X's. That's the end point of this. Comic. We know there's seven of them. We beat four mm-hmm. of them. You know, we're we're four four and out even of seven. The back the, the back fourth. cover of on my versions at least what like showed you where you were at along the progression, and it had like question marks for the future ones and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, it was very gamified in that way so this is this is i I literally have a note where i go people really think scott pilgrim is scum and he is (laughs) and then i said is he the villain of this story um and i don't think he is like i he is and he isn't right like at the same time that he is like we're talking about he's the hero he can kind of do no wrong but in many ways, he's also the villain. Like he is the source of so much of the conflict. And, and Brian O'Malley agrees with you. He has the nega, nega Scott or whatever at the end where he fights himself. Yeah, Nega Scott. Which I was laughing when I saw that happen later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he is. He he's creating so much of his own problems. I, I'd love that in this in this issue. He gets a mithril skateboard. 
uh, after he defeats yeah. uh, Lucas Lee, but then he can't use it because he didn't take a proficiency in it, so it just winks out of existence. <laughs> I don't know. I love it. There's all these little jokes that just work so well. Um, what about what about knives? Because we see her go like she she gets the highlights in her hair and she gets all upset and she's she's all like vengeful now and she goes like assassin yeah, mode it, too. Yeah, which like it, it the the way her character progresses, I do like, but like early on, I still just felt like she was just I don't know. I felt so bad for her, and then I also felt like yeah. her obsession with Scott just feeds into that power fantasy thing. Like every woman is just so obsessed with him. Like it just makes you feel good if you're Scott, right? The we, something we didn't talk about that this this doesn't necessarily handle super super well, and it's interesting because I didn't realize I kind of thought that Brian O'Malley was like a white guy, mm. but you said that he's like half half Korean. Yeah. Um, but it, the way that this story handles race, I was surprised with as well. Like, yeah, the, there are there are mm-hmm. like moments of um, race played for laughs. And like, there's a lot of like emphasis on like he's like at one point he's like, oh, you know, he's he's like he just em- like Scott keeps saying like you Japanese so and so's and like very mm-hmm. specifically talking about like like the race was was very important yeah. and i wonder like is it time period that that like this is how people talk about things is it i'm sure that was yeah, the defense of it i mean but yeah i mean it's definitely there i think a lot of the stuff that goes on with knives is it feels feels kind of tinged in, in her her dad, her dad especially very specifically, um there's yeah. a specific line where he says uh, i thought you weren't allowed to date outside your race which I, made me cringe um just it, i don't know it's 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 a little bit uncomfortable and again, it's I'm sure he was doing it because it was the kind of, it was the way people talked. And, you know, he's trying to be true to life, I think. But then part of it is like trying to make jokes. And some of those jokes just don't land for me. Uh, what about MB Adams? I mean, this is our first introduction to her. She's a you know big character going forward. Um, yeah. She's very dramatically drawn. I think it's kind of the most angular sort of depiction of anybody. She is introduced in a very intense way. They're having this like stare down her and her and Ramona. Um, I, I did find it funny how the, I love that scene where they were in the backstage area and knives is like fanning out like crazy while her and yeah. Scott are having this like showdown and Ramona and like, so there's all this other drama going on, but then knives is trying to be like this super fan and just the mm-hmm. way those things all interacted with each other. I thought was really clever. Yeah. And again, the expressionism and the, the expressions of the characters within this sort of cartoon manga, um, like the style of it all it's almost like chibi a little bit are you familiar with like chibi art it's like so like in an anime if there are like legitimate chibi animes but it's like bigger head small body and sometimes there'll be a scene oh so like when they when they reference it or something they'll do a little like cute cute version of the character sometimes there'll be like a normal scene going on and then they'll like jump into like a little argument and it'll be like smaller versions of themselves with large heads and they're kind of like cutesier and almost like at certain times the style of this felt like i didn't know that's what it was called that's cool yeah i am familiar with it now that you mention it uh yeah I, i can see that um, okay, so Scott Pilgrim and the Infinite Sadness is volume three. Scott attempts to fight Todd, but is powerless against his psychic vegan powers. Through a flashback, Envy's background as a quiet, mousy girl who developed a callous and aggressive personality as her music career ascended is revealed. Envy attempts to organize a competition between Scott and Todd at Honest Ed's, but Todd's psychic powers destroy the store. When Envy discovers that Todd has been cheating on her with the band's drummer, he attacks her. Scott and Todd battle again, 
which is won by Scott after the vegan police arrive and strip Todd of his psychic powers for having violated his vegan diet by eating gelato and chicken parmesan. Scott earns an extra life and Envy leaves Toronto to pursue a solo career. Yeah, I actually I actually do think all the work that's done with Envy's backstory, like I like Envy as a character mm-hmm. because of the the arcs that we go through with that character. Um, especially getting the flashbacks. And a lot of the flashbacks in this are not, you don't get that in the film. And I thought a lot of that stuff was was keeping me engaged a lot to the yeah. story. And we got the flashback with Kim and the forming of the band in one of the issues and one of the volumes. And then we got the, so the much more with Kim, stuff. Kim than I remember from the movie. Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to talk too much about the movie, but that is one of the joys I had reading this was spending so much more time with these characters like seeing their day-to-day lives getting to know their backstories and how they all intersected and and seeing like little scenes between them that often didn't make it into the movie um at least in my memory of it um so yeah there is a lot here for like people who've seen the movie and might be curious about the comics there's a lot here for you yeah definitely and i think a lot of it is represented in the film but yeah there's a certain run times of the film that that you just can't spend quite as much time but i can't i can't wait to talk about that and you know i can't wait to notice new things that only a comic reader going into the film will have noticed because i've never had that experience of, of the the edgar wright film right so the veganism stuff i wanted to talk to you about like how do how do vegans feel about this portrayal yeah so i'm not a vegan um although i, I know several and i um have been eating a lot less meat i i I don't eat red meat very much at all anymore. Um, And I'm sure that this um, rubs vegans the wrong way. Um, This does feel very of a time because I remember in this time period, I vegans were, it it was like, there was such a strong stereotype of the, of the like snooty better than you, holier than thou vegan who, who rubs it in your face. And I don't even know how like true to life that is, but that was the stereotype, right? Mm Hmm. And so it's playing with that. And I think a lot of it was like guilt. People exactly, who felt yeah. a little guilty and they were just like, like, you know, pushing it off to yeah. the, to and, the, it's their fault. Cause they're, and I'm they're sure better. there are some very annoying holier than thou vegans out there. Like I have no doubt that that is a thing that people experienced, but I also wonder if for this time period of veganism, just like enjoyed having representation of some kind and you know having a superpower isn't the worst thing and like i know it's a stereotype yeah. and, and all and of it's that silly but when the wonder, vegan like, police show up and all that yeah right yeah i don't know it, it it i think it was like i i don't know it was around the time i first heard the term vegan i don't know exactly how long like how far back that term goes but it wasn't something i heard about i heard vegetarian you know growing up right. but not vegan until until around this time frame yeah the psychic powers were extremely powerful as well, yeah. like blowing holes in the moon and stuff. And like, uh, yeah, this was a character that like without the without the vegan police, Scott was not defeating. Yeah. And they even say something about it being a deus ex machina when it happens. Um, I did think some of that was like kind of weak is by comparison, um, but funny. So it's OK. Like you can get away with stuff like that in a comic like this. Um but uh, some of the rest of this was okay. I did really like all the envy backstory. The the fact that um, Todd is cheating on her um, makes him like more despicable in our eyes. It makes us feel sorry for her. And um, it is it is also another situation where we see Ramona being a little bit jealous for the first time. 
um, which I thought was like refreshing too. It wasn't all about Scott. It was also about mm-hmm. um, Ramona and how she deals with Scott's exes, of which there are many. Um, you know, maybe just as many as <laughs> she has, it seems like, very close to. Um, yeah. And I, I do like, again, like this represents a very true-to-life thing, right? Um, especially when you date people who have been a part of the same social circles for a long time. You'll start go you'll you'll start dating someone and you'll find out that like that's their ex and oh they dated for a little while and uh, they once kissed but they didn't ever date and like there's all these people who are still around and still hanging out and like if you're gonna date that person you have to like reckon with that and you're you're you know maybe you feel jealousy but you know you're trying to play it off and like you're worried that like what if there's still flames there and I just don't know it and right. you know maybe there are so it's messy and at that time period in your life too like i said everything feels so much larger yeah. and so like the the jealousy is real you know like I, I think as you mature you realize like some of the stuff doesn't matter like people have pasts everybody's you know right. everybody has all this but but before that people don't really have a past you know these are early yeah. exploits well, or the past that they do have feel monumental because it's like right it's the only other person they've yeah, ever dated or yeah. something. Or it's like, I've like, only dated one other person. You've dated four other people. Oh, my God. You know, like, that's such a dramatic difference when it, when both are incredibly small numbers or whatever. You know what I mean? What Insert whatever number. Um, okay, let's talk about issue four. So if issue four is called Scott Pilgrim Gets It Together, Stephen begins to record an album for Sex bob with Kim's roommate, Joseph. Scott is attacked by a samurai and a ninja. The latter is revealed to be Roxy Richter, Ramona's fourth evil ex. Scott is kicked out of the apartment by Wallace and gets into a fight with Ramona after she suspects that Scott is attracted to Lisa. He stays at Lisa's apartment, where Roxy infiltrates his dreams and attacks him. Scott awakens without memories of the previous night, though Lisa informs him that he confessed that he loved Ramona. The samurai is revealed to be Knives' father, Mr. Chow, who disliked that his father was dating a white person. When he attacks Scott again, Scott escapes via a subspace portal and ends up in Ramona's mind, where he sees her as a slave to a shadowy figure. Upon exiting, Scott encounters his dark, quote, Negascott, and rejects it. He returns to find Ramona being attacked by Mr. Chow. Realizing his cowardice, Scott confesses that he loves Ramona and earns the, quote, power of love, a sword that he uses to defeat Roxy. Mr. Chow leaves, having earned respect for Scott, and Scott moves in with Ramona. This is uh, the one that also opens with the beach party, like the beach uh, scene, which I thought was also a very anime thing to like all the characters go to the beach. <laughs> yeah, um, that's always like a filler. Thing, yeah, but I mean, sure. like it's, you know, it's fun or whatever. And, and you know, right. It, the, the one thing that I do find really cool about comics that is di- very different than writing is that the person who is creating the story is also drawing it. Um, some of the time, yeah. You, uh, yeah, I guess just some of the time, yeah. but like here, here that was happening. And at the end of these right. issues, he was showing his, like all of his sketches, which I found fascinating. And, and, you know, just, diff- you know, certain characters in all these different poses, trying them out with different styles. Like he's very, mm-hmm. um, specific with how they dress. And, um, I don't know. There's just something very unlike what you have to do as a writer, where it's all sort of realm of the imagination when you can sit there and have a page where you're drawing different poses and like the character is so concrete in a way that they're not in fiction where they still in, in fiction, they exist in this like liminal imaginative, you know, imaginary space. Whereas here it's like, no, this is the character. Like I've drawn them. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just find it fascinating. Yeah. It's, and it's tough to think about like, like chicken or the egg in this situation. Like, do you start drawing first? Do you start writing mm-hmm. first? Like, I know there are, there are different, there are different artists will approach it differently. So it's like, um, yeah, I don't know. Like famously one that I always talk about is Miyazaki. Like, he, you know, his films are Oscar award winning and they're like internationally acclaimed. And then, but a lot of his process tends to be like, sort of just go through the, go through it chronologically and write as you go. Yeah which is terrifying. That's a terrifying way to make something in a visual medium, yeah. like a movie. <laughs> like that's the, that's terrifying. Um, so, I mean, you're right on that, but I mean, everybody has their different methods. So, I mean, whatever works um, in this issue, uh, a couple things. One, I, this is where the nostalgia hit me hardest. And I was realizing that because it is summer. And so he was drawing everyone mm-hmm. in their like summer fashion and summer fashion in uh, Toronto apparently has a lot of similarities to Florida wear <laughs> because I, this felt this was like really strongly reminding me of the kind of shit people wear around here or around where I was from um, in Florida. Um, and uh, so this was very much like transporting me back to a certain time. Um, and then I also noticed that he this is where like you know there's a joke about like uh, have you said the L word yet? And he's like lesbian and she's like no love. Um, uh, I think uh, Wallace might be the one who asked him about it at first, but it comes up a few times and then we see um, Knives and Kim, I think, are like making out when they're drunk um, and it feels very like male fantasy in the way that it's dealt with. Um, I was hoping that it was going to lead somewhere um, and and I was either hoping for Kim, I referenced this earlier, but I was either hoping for Kim to end up with knives or to end up with um, Lisa. I thought they, they also had some chemistry there. Um, and, you know, that, that I was kind of hoping that because it felt like with the way that it was left, um, the, the lesbianism was sort of, again, kind of jokey or sort of just, just it was considered hot, but not like a serious thing that like people would actually pursue. I mean, and to get to something that happens in this is we we meet Roxy, right? Yeah. And like at one point, at one point, Ramona says like it was just a phase, yeah. and like what that does to like someone yeah. who is a lesbian, which like how that's like th- people, people that you may feel that way, but like yeah, that's why I was hoping that it would get some representation later right. in the story. Right. I just mean like there's like I, I think there's like a certain subsection of of people who will say like oh she's a lesbian it's just a phase she'll get through it she'll she'll get yeah, over yeah, yeah. it or something or and, and like that's such a like a, it's a terrible thing to say it's an awful yeah. thing to say yeah it's not like you're, you're trying to tell somebody how they they're gonna live yeah. their life and, well and also the, um, like bisexual bisexuality is a thing like, <laughs> you know legitimately right. so like this sort of ignores that it's like you know i don't know yeah and to have these characters end up together ultimately would have been like to to, to I, I feel like to full come yeah. full circle to say like no, these are normal things that happen in everyday life and yeah. everybody's okay and with because it. we're and so I, we're so I, tied to scott it's all about like his like potential of having a threesome becomes what it it seems to be about right. you know what i mean that keeps coming yeah. up too yeah um and, and it all seems in service to that and that's why i was hoping that it would go somewhere else where it's like no these two are together and they're happy and it has nothing to do with you scott i really wanted that right exactly <laughs> it's like they decided they don't like you at all and fuck you um but we don't get that unfortunately i don't know maybe yeah, let me know if i'm wrong i'm sure people have lots of other ideas about kim i mean this is also where we see uh the caricature of, of Knives' father, this, like, he doesn't really speak English, and he's drawn in a way that, that almost doesn't fit, doesn't line up with some of the other draw like, 
styles. I don't know. It, it just things about this depiction of the father was some yeah. of the stuff that bothered me the most when it came to not great representation. Agreed. Yeah. It, it was just like hard. I, 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 it just felt like it didn't fit. Like you said, it, it didn't feel lighthearted. It kind of felt like it was, he was the butt of the yeah. jokes and like, it was how, made to be is, like this, yeah. this samurai warrior. Cause he's Asian and, and like, you know, all that stuff felt kind of weird, yeah. but it didn't ruin the story for me. Cause I actually, this is where I really wrote down that like, I'm start. I, I was like, I'm starting to warm to this series more. Um, the the subspace stuff going into the void was really interesting. I was trying to figure out what was going on there. The glow. Um, the glow. There's like certain mysteries. We're we are getting a lot more with these side characters. I was really hoping that this stuff would happen with Kim. And I start I started getting invested in my hope that that would happen. Um there was just more for me to sink my teeth into in the story at this point. Um and it felt like uh Scott was like maybe not quite as terrible. You know, we're talking like percentage points, but he's starting to learn a little <laughs> bit here and there. Um Yeah. And then we Well, it's like the the moment that he like realizes that he was being a coward and confesses his love and then like he gets the respect of Mr. Chow and like all of these things are like making us feel like he's making progress in some yeah. way. So Negascott also happens in, in volume four. And I just wanted to ask you like what you thought, because this this sort of character is uh, like this is like his going to the woods. And, and this is this is uh, Luke Skywalker going into the woods and fighting like a vision of Darth Vader. And then he cuts off the head and like the mask blows yeah. off and it's actually himself. Yeah. And then like dark link, there's like link tends to fight like a dark mm-hmm. version of himself. Sometimes, I mean, it, so. it's it's very meta. It's very on the nose. It's very like the, the worst parts of self. But like it's not really defined yet. Too. it's just a hint of it i think in issue four and it becomes more of a thing and i really think issue six is where it's actually called negascott for example um but yeah I, I, it's it works because it's goofy and fantasy and and um it, it's in tone with everything else and and this this is really about scott learning to best his like inner demons and like <laughs> the worst yeah. parts of himself um and so why not have it manifest as a negascott i think that makes sense yeah, it's always something I, I you know, I think it, it people will see it as like a trope mm-hmm. and it definitely is a trope, but it's it's effective. Like yeah. I like I'm not saying it. I love every other example you gave of it, but here it works. <laughs> okay, I think. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's move into volume five, which is called Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe. Scott and Ramona's relationship has begun to deteriorate as Scott begins to believe that she may still be interested in Gideon. While Scott fights a robot created by Ramona's twin exes, Kyle and Ken Katayanagi, Knives tells Ramona that Scott dated them both at the same time. Ramona confronts Scott over his infidelity and tells him he is, an, he is another evil ex waiting to happen. The twins kidnap Kim. Scott is about to lose the fight but emerges victorious when Kim lies and says that Ramona texted her. Scott returns to Ramona, who tearfully bids Scott goodbye and fades away. A short time later, Scott receives a phone call from Gideon, who asks him if he has time to die. Uh, Okay, so I I really like this issue. Um, I I thought it was cleverly set up where you see Ramona being very jealous. She's learned about some of the stuff from Knives, and she's just jealous of, of Scott's sort of wandering eye that he definitely has. And she's starting to doubt the relationship and things start falling apart, which like creates this tension, right? Like we've invested all this time in this couple and we don't want to see it fall apart, you know? So there's all this drama about it. And then, um, you know, it ends with him at his lowest point. She leaves. So I I thought this was a really good volume and and I was really excited to get into volume six. But um, yeah, what did you think of this one? 
I liked that Ramona was removed from the equation at some point, and it was about like Scott. Although he had to save Kim, I thought it was cool that it had something to do with Kim rather than Ramona. And you know, to have another character, a female character, be kidnapped for Scott to save is, is kind it's of happened several times. But, yeah, <laughs> it continues yeah. to happen. Uh, yeah, but uh, that aside, it was nice to see like um, Kim sort of being invested in their relation in Ramona and Scott's relationship at that point, and so showing like where she is at. Um, with with in terms of all the things that have gone on between her and Scott um, and for her to try to try to like get him you know the, the moment that she tells Scott like yeah Ramona knows you can do it or whatever he gets fire in his eyes and he goes crazy and he like defeats them yeah. uh, and that's like the motivation he needed something else I did want to say was the party at the beginning mm-hmm. um, the going to the parties wearing was kind different of fun costumes and- again like I, I kept thinking about the artist going like i want to i want to like draw them in different costumes like it had to be fun right to have these characters you've created and dress them up i don't know that's just not something like i would think about that much in writing and there are some characters that we haven't really touched too much on like scott's sister mm-hmm. and there is another um there's julie i think her julie, name is she's yeah. dating like uh that's whose dating... house they go to for the parties she's the one in, in yeah she's some of these characters are just like fun and quirky and like yeah. they're they're like sort of in the story and and those characters tended to like give nice flavor mm-hmm. when when it became stale with sort of just just scott or ramona yeah. steven stills is the one who's dating julie i want to say for you know for a I while think, yeah, and they, and they break, break up, up at some and point julie's kind of yeah. considered to be like this like cold like you know he calls her a bitch in the in the in the comic yeah. and um but she also hosts all these parties and i i did like the detail of her moving into this like flat this apartment that is like way swankier than anything else we've seen them be at and it just felt really appropriate again to me of that like transitory part of your life where all of a sudden you go from like hanging out in someone's bedroom to now you're in this like apartment that someone has for the first time. And they're of course throwing a massive rager. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, it's just, it's funny. And then everybody happens. just goes to that house because yeah. that's a nice house and everybody. Wants yeah. To Although I was like, well, who's going you know, to call the police on them for making too much noise. These robot fights. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I thought this whole, this whole, um, I, I felt like this, really represented a, a trans transition within this the story itself like it was shifting into another gear it was moving into the end game of the story and, and again i yeah. was i was you know definitely engaged um and then we move into volume six so volume six is called scott pilgrim's finest hour four months have passed since ramona's disappearance in order to reinvigorate Scott, Wallace sends him on a, quote, wilderness sabbatical to Kim's home in northern Ontario. The trip prompts Scott to remember that he never actually saved Kim from being kidnapped. The revelation prompts Nega Scott again to emerge. Though he initially wishes to defeat Nega Scott in order to forget his relationship with Ramona, he instead emer- merges with Nega Scott, thus remembering and accepting responsibility for his poor actions in his previous relationships. Scott returns to Toronto to fight Gideon at his newly opened club where Envy is making her solo debut. Gideon invites Scott to join the League of Evil Exes. When Scott refuses, Gideon kills him with the power of Love Sword. Scott awakens in a desert where he encounters Ramona. They reconcile and Scott uses his extra life to return to the club where he confronts Gideon inside Ramona's subspace and encourages Ramona to overcome Gideon's influence. When Scott witnesses Gideon berate Envy, he realizes he has been no better than Gideon in his past relationships, causing him to gain the power of understanding. Scott and Ramona unite, defeat Gideon together, and decide to give their relationship another chance. 
In an epilogue, Scott works as a coach chef with Stephen, who reveals he is gay and dating Joseph. Scott and Kim start a new band, and Knives leaves to attend university. Scott and Ramona affirm their desire to face the challenges of a relationship together and walk hand in hand into a subspace door. Okay, that's the end of issue six, which might be my favorite issue. And um, I have a lot of respect for someone who is able to find a good ending for something that they've been working on for as long as, you know, Brian Lee O'Malley was working on this series. It's tough to do. And I, I felt like he stuck the landing here. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I, it was satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. Took the words out of my mouth. This is my favorite volume and he totally stuck the landing because if I, I can see a version of the story where yeah. he doesn't and, it, you know, the whole the, the rest of it is sort of it's not to take away from anything he would have done, but the, if the ending isn't as satisfying, you, we can look back at some of these other volumes and be like, oh, it wasn't overall. The story wasn't quite as satisfying as I would have, would have liked, but the art in this isn't, is the, by far yeah, the best. I, I noticed that too. Um, some of the, some of the moments in the desert, some of the moments of when they're fighting Gideon in the subspace, all that stuff looks extremely cool. Um, very well thought out. Um, and then, yeah, like this idea of like, these things have consequences and, um, people coming to understandings and Scott understanding like he's he was a piece of shit because he clearly was the yeah. entire story. Um, so like we said, like that that creates that full circle narrative where like he's a piece of shit in the beginning and he might be relatable to you because you've been that piece of shit, but you can eventually come to an understanding and ask forgiveness and be a better mm -hmm. person going forward. Well, and, and, and I loved things. how it was tied to like he had to remember. He couldn't just ignore the things he'd done. He had to face right. them. And um, I think there's even a point where he says, like, but, you know, I hate that. I hate myself and I'd rather not. I'd rather forget than face that. Um, it's not exactly what he says, but to that effect, when he's talking with Kim and um, he does have to learn that he needs to recognize what he's done, remember it and learn from it, um, which is a difficult, painful thing to do to, like, wrestle with the mistakes we've made, the people we've hurt um, and actually change like work to change versus just mm -hmm. ignore and move on um which mm -hmm. seems to have been his mo you know thus far i do want to talk about the fighting in this because i feel like we've talked about it a little bit but something we we've talked about how this is very influenced from shonen shonen manga and shonen anime but um there's something there's like theories that i've that i've read up on and, and listened to, to mangaka talk about where there's like a certain flow to a to a to a certain page in the panel, the way that the panels flow together. This in this in specifically this issue too, I was noticing like Brian O'Malley really keying in on like the things that make that that sort of flow of panels in a fight scene work really well because it's where your eyes drawn mm -hmm. right. So it's like it might start the first thing that's gonna catch your eye is like it's something near the left usually in America. So near the left and then the, the image will slowly like pull your gaze to other parts and, and the way that it'll flow. And you can kind of have like, you know, Scott punch somebody here and then it flows to the next panel, like down, down into the right. And then it'll flow to the next one and become like a whole spot splash page sort of action spread. And I always find that sort of kinetic fight scene stuff in, in some manga and comics like this to be really fun because there's another version of it where it is sort of like in film where you get a shot and then you cut to another, to a punch and then you cut to a, this and you cut, you keep doing all these like rapid mm -hmm. cuts and they're just like sort of like stationary still things. And this sort of feels more like blocking of a scene and the flow of how you might move the camera and how kinetic it can yeah, be. Yeah. Um, that's all that. kind of stuff too that, that is kind of invisible 
until you like mention it to me because when it's working you you kind of don't even notice it you kind of just are, are in it right like you're feeling the excitement of the moment the splash art is really cool and it feels massive it feels like a big moment and then, yeah you, you know you turn the page and there's only one image or something that's like oh this is really big and you know like right. you know when he when he gets killed like it, i think there's like four pages of white before you get anything else like yeah. there's, there's that yeah, was crazy a, too like that's a huge yeah. decision to make that's like yeah we're gonna have a bunch of pages in this book that have nothing on it and then the editor's like what the fuck <laughs> yeah can't you just do that yeah with there's one? so many little but cool no. flares like that um, i i remember there's a point in an earlier issue where um um scott is like yelling insults out of the bus as it's like driving away from wallace i think and the insults and the bus get smaller and smaller and smaller as like panels shrink and shrink and shrink and it's like illegible at a certain point. Um, I thought that was really clever. I, I spent a lot of time trying to like key in. I was trying to like really zoom in with my eyes to see if I could read it. It's really fun, you know, and like it, there's part where like he's chewing, he's got something in his mouth and he's chewing. So like the, the text gets all garbled and you can't quite read it. Um, mm-hmm. There there's like uh, just playing with the, the panels themselves get like shrunk at certain parts um there's there's a moment where someone's like stepping out of a panel i think their foot is like coming out of it and stuff too which almost gives it like a 3d effect um so there's mm-hmm. just so much fun he's having with this form and he's pl- being very playful with it and that kind of stuff was just as interesting as anything else to me like what is the next little trick he's gonna pull um and, and you know it was it was a joy every time yeah and each of those is like that's an inspiration of art too like that's that's like that's so much time spent thinking about like the exact things that you want to do and the, the reasons for doing them. And yeah, I, I think that stuff's so cool. Um, I had forgotten about the extra life. I remember it happening and like, I th- and then like when it happened, I was like, Oh yeah, I think that's the thing in the movie too. But like, even when it happened, I was like, well, this is going to be important later. Remember that. And then he got killed and I swear to God, I forgot. And I was like, how yeah, is going to awesome. bring him back? And then it was like, Oh yeah, you have an extra life. And I was like, God damn it. How did I forget? <laughs> of course he has the extra life. That was like, so it's funny that it worked. Cause it was, it was like three issues back. It was just long enough to where it, you know, cause I read him over a course of several days. So I, I had kind of forgotten about it. Yeah, that's perfect. That's what Brian O'Malley was hoping for. <laughs> exactly. On a repeat, on a repeat, like, you know, you're going back through the story in one medium or the other yeah. and you forgot that. That's perfect. There is a lot of overlap with this and Wade Watson, I think about it. Uh, not yeah. to not to spoil what happens to Ready Player One, but yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking for about? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for okay. sure. I mean, that and that, that yeah. Like I said, I, I don't know who influenced who or, or what, but. Well, I mean, Ready Player One came out later than this. I can tell you that. Yeah, and this is absolutely go. the kind of thing that that I could see uh, uh, Ernest Klein reading and liking. So I don't know. Sure. I wonder if he's ever talked yeah. about it. But like, yeah, I can I can definitely see some influence here. I, you know, I'd be surprised if there wasn't at least. Um, so what do you think of Gideon, the big bad, and this this final confrontation? They're in this yeah. like epic club, which is really swanky and just very unlike any place we've been so far in this in this yeah. comic series there's been some teasing of we've gotten his name we've seen his face a few times but they had to very quickly be like oh you hate this guy so they set up this sort of like he's he's trapped literally iced these women like literally like these characters have literally been frozen and one one girl at one point says like i was frozen since 2003 or something so it's like how you know i don't know was it 2000 actually 2010 was that actually yeah, seven it came years out that she was frozen? yeah so uh yeah that i mean very quickly they were like you need to hate this character and and you know he seemed somewhat threatening but pretty quickly he they beat him pretty fast i guess and 
Yeah, but I, I think the more important thing, and, and honestly, I found Gideon to just be like, whatever. But I think, there, you know, Scott is supposed to be seeing some of himself in this character. And some of yeah. his worst tendencies, like, turned up a notch in this character. Um, and, and when he gets invited to become a member of the League of Evil Exes, I think it really drives home how much Scott doesn't want to become like him and like these others. Um, yeah. But one of the things I thought worked best about this was all the stuff going on with Ramona and how she had to, like, she had to be the one to cast him out of the subspace, which is apparently, like, her subconscious. Um, and it couldn't, like, Scott could not defeat him there. It had to be her. And I thought that that was, like, profound in a way too about like about truly moving on from someone like someone else can't make you move on from someone you have to do that yourself and she had work she had to do still and um i think that's something that a lot of times people like ramona uh forget or that that's difficult painful work and they don't want to have to deal with it so i think it's telling that at the end her her bag gets burst open and her literal ba- you know baggage whatever like her emotional baggage is spilled everywhere and i think scott says like should we like pick this all up and she's like no nah, i wanted to get rid of it anyway um and it's you know figuratively and metaphorically here to getting rid of baggage getting rid of her emotional baggage at the same time yeah i i did also like how uh we see scott sort of intersect with all the most of the major women. We didn't really talk about Lisa, who was a pretty significant character for a while. Um, and she's not here at the end, but Envy, Kim, uh, Knives, uh, all get a moment to like have a, a final sort of um, interaction with Scott um, leading up to this. And then even a little bit of resolution at the end. Um, and I liked all of that. And uh, Envy, again, continues to be an interesting character. And um, she's the one who's like dating Gideon at the time. Um, and then again, it feels like Scott kind of helps her out by like exposing just how much of an asshole this guy is. And um, she she's, you know, able to ascend to her stardom uh, because like everybody loves her and she's awesome. And she's this like huge pop star basically at this point. Um, yeah. I don't know. She's she's a really interesting character, too. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to get to the movie just because of everybody who's in this movie and who plays all these characters and stuff. I, I What a cast. <laughs> well, that's the thing, man. I saw the I, I was looking at some of the cast from that movie and I could not it's believe insane. it. Cause it's like, insane. I mean, Brie Larson, like yeah. like early Brie Larson. Yeah, I mean, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Honestly, the cast of that movie is incredible. For sure. OK, so speaking of Stephen E. who commissioned this, he uh, actually wrote a comment for us. And, and I thought we could sort of address it here. And in fact, he touches on something we've already touched on a little bit. He says, do you think Ready Player One is borrowing anything from Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Um, also, do you find the overarching storyline to be an allegory for overcoming the emotional baggage people bring with them from past heartbreak? Or do you find the story to be stuck in the male bravado accompanying the video game culture of the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s? Is the balance of art, music, and creation properly handled? I feel like a couple of them we've talked about, yeah, right? Yeah, so that's the- kind of been at the heart of what we've been discussing, I think, right? Yeah. The Ready Player One has been addressed. I think that, like you said, if we look at the dates, I, I'm sure there are other people who are doing this sort of thing, I will say. It's not just Ernest Klein yeah. and Brian O'Malley. There are other people who are doing this sort of like nerd culture referencing heroes sort of Absolutely. thing. Um, 
And then what was the next? Is this an allegory for overcoming emotional baggage from past heartbreak? Or do you find it to be stuck in the male bravado accompanying video game culture? Kind of both. It's both. (laughs) I would agree. Like it it is that and it is stuck in that, but it's deliberately so. That's also just kind of the window dressing for the story. Um, Once once I got around to the point where I recognized the emotional core of this story and what it is really dealing with, again, like I, I, I went on a journey with this. And by the end, I... I'm a fan of it. Like, I actually really like it, but I was not there at the beginning. I didn't think I'd get there. Um, And and I did like the movie. I remember liking the movie, so I'd be very interested to to revisit it. But um, yeah, the comic, I was like, I don't know about this, but by the end, I was on board and I actually really thought there was some profound stuff here, especially as I still don't like Scott Pilgrim as a person. Um, Mm -hmm. I I came to have an, an affection for him, I guess. Yeah. We talked about the baggage is basically it's literal, but it's also the allegory. Like you said, the, the nearing the end, what Ramona goes through um, and then the male bravado stuff like that. That's I mean, and, and something else that I kept thinking about was this is like the almost like getting to the peak of like gatekeeping nerd culture. And like that, like that, that there was that time period where like it was like especially and even in, we talked about in Ready Player One. Yeah. Comics gate was a massive thing like shitstorm yeah and this like this idea of like gatekeeping the knowledge and like being like the yeah. know-it-alls and being the people who would like what, uh, what makes a true fan a true nerd exactly a true, you know whatever exactly you know? it's really it's really shitty nasty stuff honestly and you know I, we definitely don't support gatekeeping of any kind like if you like comics congratulations you're a comic fan you ever exactly. you ever watched a star wars movie and liked it congratulations you're a star wars fan like it's <laughs> yeah. like the, the fucking gatekeeping is ridiculous you know it's wild yeah but anyway um we are getting in the weeds a little bit here um let's go ahead and wrap this up we are going to be back next week with the edgar wright film which i am very excited about um and then we will making we'll be making a uh, a vote on which was is the best version of this story uh, which I don't yeah. know where I'm going to land. Honestly, I'm going to have to give the give the movie a shot because I I, I thought it was going to clearly be the movie, but I, I ended up really enjoying this. Um, I, I'm having a lot of fun covering comics, so you know, keep them coming as far as like the recommendations go. Yeah, I'm excited to cover some more comics. Uh, I'm very excited to get into the movie. Edgar Wright's a very inspirational filmmaker to me. I love. I, I genuinely just love everything he's made. I, I'm I'm expecting you to bring it next week, man. I want to I want to find out why you like Edgar Wright, what it is about him in this movie, you know, all that stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. Guy's a wealth of knowledge. He's one of those filmmakers that's like, like he's created his own style. He's mm-hmm. like pushing forward the art form. Like I, I can't wait to talk about it. That's awesome. So if you wanted to support us. Um, if you wanted to vote on a project like we talked about earlier, definitely check out our Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash/InkToFilm. Another way you could support this podcast is by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen. The Apple podcast being the place yeah. that uh, most people go. It's the gold standard. Yeah. If you enjoyed this coverage, also tell a friend. Like if you know somebody who likes Scott Pilgrim, likes this kind of stuff, you know, let them know. Word of mouth is, is another great way. Uh, if you're on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. Um, and if you are on social media, connect with us. We are uh, at ink to film on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And love to, to connect with you on there. All right, man, I feel like I've leveled up. I've gotten yeah. equipped, and now I'm ready to do battle with the movie. I don't know if <laughs> the metaphor's falling apart. I've uh, <laughs> I've attained understanding. So Yeah, there you go. The power of understanding. I get plus two. I, I liked all the plus twos and plus ones yeah. and proficiencies, and that was it's just fun. Yeah. It's just fun stuff. All right, we'll be back next week, and until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.